The following presentation has been brought to you by HSF Productions. Making their way to the studio, representing the wrestling capital of the world, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, your hosts of the Impromptu Wrestling Podcast, Tally and Damien. Welcome back to IWP, the Impromptu Wrestling Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Tally006. Over to my left, as always, is my brother Damien. How's it going this fine Saturday morning? I'm good. You're just good? <laughs> I, I really couldn't think of anything witty to say, so yeah, I'm just good. <laughs> well, we have, a, we have a good week. We have a good uh, week of wrestling here to talk about this week. We're going to be getting into some breaking kayfabe, some news. The commentary desk is full once again with lots of matches to talk about. We got a full order of putting it over. And before all that, of course, we got to talk about some other sports. So let's get right into the action. Last week we mentioned that the Bombers were headed into the Banjo Bowl against provincial Prairie Rivals. Provincial Rivals? That doesn't make sense. Prairie Rivals, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. It was the 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 revenge game, the rematch game from the Labor Day Classic, which the Bombers won, and the Bombers coming out once again, winning the Banjo Bowl. They improved to 5-1 to one on the season. They are first in the West. They're the best in the league. What do you think of the Bombers' big win there last Saturday? I mean, good news for us because we're Bomber fans, so it's always great. But you know what the scary thing is for the CFL is that the Bombers aren't even playing well. Right. So, yeah, this is it's looking good. And I, I think they're going to be their own worst enemy if they end up, you know, not winning. It's it's because of something they've done. So yeah. if, if they start cleaning things up, I, they're unbeatable. Yeah, I agree. The Bombers played the Edmonton Elks tonight. Looking forward to that one. <laughs> the, the formerly Ooh. known as the Eskimos. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars season opener last Sunday. Trevor Lawrence's NFL debut. Uh, the rookie college sensation went 28 for 51 for 332 yards, three touchdowns, and three interceptions. Pretty good showing for an NFL start, I'd say. Those are Fitzpatrick's numbers right there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. A fantasy <laughs> stud, but still lose the game. Houston won 37-21. This is Lawrence's first loss since November 17th, 2017. This kid has never lost a regular season game in his life dating back to high school. I wonder how he's handling the, uh, the L this week. Hopefully he's not going snow blind. <laughs> Jacksonville is a hell of a city. The Jaguars play the Broncos coming up this week too. But with that being said, let's get right into the wrestling news. It's time to take a look at the headlines and rumors from outside the ring. It's breaking kayfabe. So making the news this week, Bray Wyatt is teasing a return. He tweeted out earlier this week, shortly after congratulating his buddy Big E on his WWE Championship win. Everything will be clear. I'll see y'all very soon. Revenge is a confession of pain. Now, this 
has fiendish undertones. I wonder if he's going to try to keep this character in a way or if he's completely reinventing himself. Uh, it, it's tough to know. This is a very broad, vague kind of tease. I know there's been a lot of talk of him signing with Impact. Impact very, very much uh, looking to sign Bray Wyatt. I think he'd fit in there. Might even maybe take over Decay. He would fit right in with those guys. Um, but also a lot of talk that we're going to be seeing him in AEW sooner than later. What are your thoughts on all this Bray Wyatt stuff? I mean, it's exciting because this is like one of the the biggest names of our generation here. I, I really feel like Bray has it all. He can wrestle. He can get on the mic. He can tell a story. And like, what more is there really to wrestling? It's exciting for Impact if he does go there. I, I Like you said, I think he would fit in well. And he would make that show more relevant than it currently is, which is, I think, good news for all of wrestling. But we got some big shows coming up in AEW. And, you know, like we have seen in the past couple of weeks, big shows, big things happening. This would be a, a really good setup for a debut for Bray Wyatt or whatever his name would possibly be. I'm thinking he reinvents himself. I think he'll leave that gimmick to Alexa Bliss and um, kind of do something new. Old but new? Right. Yeah, old but new. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing the the Louisiana Bayou character again, like the kind of the original Bray Wyatt coming out in the flower shirts and just being, I don't know, creepy, I guess, for lack of a better word. I, I like that you bring up the name because you you got to think Bray Wyatt is a WWE thing. His real name is Wyndham Rotunda. Can't run with that. <laughs> so, yeah, it'll be definitely interesting to see where he takes the name front. Wouldn't it be cool if he came with his brother? It'd be really cool, actually. Yeah, I think that'd be that'd be awesome. I think people will go insane. I kind of miss Bo. Yeah, we used to shit on Bo, but I mean, he just just like Bray, like so dedicated to the character. I like I he got over with me. I think. Um, oh yeah. So, the worst thing that ever happened to Bo is getting thrown in with Heath Slater and Kurt Axel, and yeah, because then his character became kind of more straight, and I it sort of defeated the purpose of him. I can still picture him just running around the ring with his arms up like a absolute douche. <laughs> Doing the victory laps. That's good <laughs> shit. That's good shit. What's going on with Adam Cole? Uh, so Adam Cole was uh, interviewed recently and talking about the Bullet Club and the possibility of maybe the Elite and the Bullet Club having some sort of feud and you know possibly some matches. I thought this was worth talking about because Bullet Club is is in Impact now, and you know the the Forbidden Door, not the Hidden Door, as I <laughs> said in a previous episode, like an idiot. Um, I think this is just exciting. I, I think people have probably forgot about Bullet Club. I know we see the shirts in the stands. It's you know probably a cool thing to have a Bullet Club T-shirt, but. Since the click is left, I, I don't. Uh, it's not really part of the conversation. So for it to be part of the conversation again, I think is really exciting news. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this, and and I hope this is the central storyline going into one of my predictions that I made 
a long time ago, like I'm thinking like episode three or four, where I said what would be really cool is a Survivor Series style pay-per-view hosted by AEW that brought other promotions in. You know, champion versus champion, da-da-da-da-da-da. This storyline of the Elite versus the Bullet Club goes back a long way to when Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, Cody, Hangman, they all found themselves bigger than the Bullet Club. You know, they were Bullet Club, but they were the Elite, and that's kind of where the whole Elite thing came from. You know, that's a storyline that maybe a lot of the average fans don't know about. And if they brought that in and we got this massive, so who who's all in the elite right now? We got Kenny, the good brothers, the young bucks and Adam Cole. Is that six? You know, six V six. There, there's definitely more than six in the bullet club. They basically have their choice. Or even if they wanted to do, you know, like an NWO sold out thing where it was all NWO versus WCW guys. And that's the whole show, you know? So we get Kenny versus Switchblade. We get, you know, uh, Good Brothers versus the Gorillas of, uh, what were they called? The gr Gorillas of Destiny? Sorry, that took a little while to get to me. Um, who who are the Young Bucks taking on? Probably one of the Japanese uh, tag teams. I, I'm not that familiar. And then maybe we get Cole versus Chris Bay, you know? That's a that's an awesome right. stacked card right there. So there, there's many, many options that they can go with. I'm super excited about it. Absolutely, me as well. And then the last little piece of outside of the ring news here is this week's episode of Dark Side of the Ring, which featured the plane ride from hell. If you guys don't aren't familiar with what the plane ride from hell is, go check out this episode. It's available on Crave up here in Canada. Um, Tommy Dreamer finds himself in some trouble as he is suspended indefinitely from Impact Wrestling over some comments he made during the episode. And, I mean, we just checked this out shortly before we went air just to kind of familiarize ourselves with it. And it seemed like what's being reported and what we saw in the episode is a little different. And maybe what's on Crave isn't, you know, it, it's, a, it's an edited version of, of this story because you even mentioned it if, if this was so bad of a thing how did they let it in the show and now we're seeing that it's not even part of the show so we're not really a hundred percent sure on on the exacts of that story but the story goes is that they were talking about an instance where rick flair kind of pins a stewardess in the back of the plane as he's wearing his robe with nothing underneath he's fully nude and essentially assaulting this this poor woman on a plane dreamer kind of goes on to the, the words they're using in the news right now is dismissing the incident as rick flair was just playing his character and i mean that's a that's kind of a weak sauce argument if you ask me i've always been i've always been that kind of portrayer of i'm against people bringing up stuff that happened way too long ago. And I mean, we're talking 20 years at this point, getting close to 20 years from this incident to use that to attack somebody. I, I, I never found that that's held any water, but Tommy dreamer recorded this 
and and these statements a few you know weeks ago, months ago, however long it was. So Tommy Dreamer's side of this story is kind of very relevant, and he's paying the price for it, which I mean I completely agree with. I'm curious about what's going to happen to Ric Flair with this story making coming out because this is not the first time this has happened with Flair. Right. Right. You know, it, it, it is really tough because we only see some snippets of what Tommy dreamer is saying. Right. If I, if I compared Tommy dreamer to some of the other people that spoke like RVD, for example, uh, RVD didn't really make light of anything. He was just kind of more commentating on what went down um, he wasn't part of any of it. Tommy Dreamer also was just kind of commentating what it was, but then adding a little bit of his own sort of opinion on it, which I think is where people are are kind of attacking him for it. And, I mean, you can't blame Impact for kind of canceling him because everything reflects on the, the company you work at now. I, I want to say an unfortunate situation, but... I don't know. You're a celebrity. You got to watch what you say. It's that this is the world we live in. Everything's recorded these days. So you either watch what you say or you don't get paid. So poor El Idolo though, eh? What? Do, do you think AEW is going to pick up Ric Flair now that this is in the news? That's probably not going to happen. El Idolo's at home crying. They're probably going to hold back. You know, if, it, if the Ric Flair debut is imminent, it's definitely been pushed back. You know, because right. we, we've seen AEW kind of crack down on, there was the Sammy incident, and then uh, recently there was the Max Caster incident, you know, and now we got Ric Flair in the news. I don't think Ric Flair takes a hit here. I think he stays quiet for a little while. I think this is more than a well-known situation at this point. Like I said, Ric Flair's done this before. But unfortunately, yeah, Tommy Dreamer taking the fall here. Impact's got to protect themselves. It's as simple as that. And I and I think of the of the saying, you know, adapt or survive. Unfortunately, you have to really watch what you say, you know, when it comes to putting your voice out there. I mean, we do it all the time here on the podcast. Like we gotta watch what we say sometimes. Now sending it over to the commentary desk. We got three matches to talk about here on the on the commentary desk. We got more, but we're going to really focus in on these three. Starting off with Darby Allen versus Sean Spears this happened on Dynamite. We got a quick little promo package leading into this matchup that kind of talked about the history between these two and a match that they had a couple years ago. When we were going through this match and watching it, they did some callbacks. So I thought that promo package was very strategically placed going into this match that they even brought some of those spots back overall what did you think of this matchup through and through bell to bell yeah I, like i was totally glad they did the promo package i kind of forgot that these two even had a thing going at one time and uh you know reminding us that sean spears actually was one of the first people to defeat darby allen in AEW. so it gave us a sense of some story. Maybe there was some retribution or something that needed to happen here on the surface. Again, we have the same sort of situation, little Darby Allen versus the much bigger Sean Spears, but I thought they did a great job of, you know, Sean Spears taking some, some beat downs from Darby kind of selling for him and whatever. And, and we had some, 
sort of unique spots here. I'm reminded of that one on the stairs that did not look like that tickled. So uh, I thought this was a really well done match. I mean, a Sean Spears match, I, I don't think we'll ever say is is very bad. So, and, and Darby always performs, just putting his body on the line. So yeah, I thought this was a solid match. The one thing I noticed with Darby during this match is that he was physically selling more. You know, he's, he's always sold because he is the smaller guy and he always has really great facial expressions. But there was the spot after the sharpshooter where he was like hobbling and really selling the knee. And I don't think, I, I can't really recall him like selling a limb like that. And maybe, maybe his matches hasn't prompted that kind of sell yet, but I, it was really noticeable in this one. And I, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, the one thing I want to talk about is that we get two face paint spots and we've been very critical on AEW doing the mask spots with Penta and Ray and even Fuego del Sol. They keep going to that well. Don't worry, we're going to bring it up again in a moment. But these face paint spots where Sean in the middle of the match goes and gets a towel, wets it down and wipes the face paint off of Darby and we see it again during the attack after the bell on Sting. I mean, this is just more of the same. You know, it's a little different because it's face paint, not a mask, but it has the same effect. It's going after the same heat, and I can't help but think, like, we've seen this already. Can we not think of something else? Leave it alone for a little while. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts on the face paint spots? Well, I just kind of said to you while we're watching this is, like, what else do you do to get that heat? Like, you know, you... You can't pull somebody's pants down. I don't. I don't feel like that's gonna work, right? So, it's it's something that represents them. Um, is it really different than when you have a family member in in the first row and then you know you go and attack them? I think it, it's all the same kind of idea to get the heat. But yeah, we just see this one so often that. Yeah, we, we need we need something different. And I was just thinking while you were talking there, like, have we, has Darby ever been busted open? Like, we haven't really seen a a good uh, yeah. good session of color. I feel lately, so I think maybe that's where they could have went with this match rather than than the face paint. But the chairman needs to use the chair, right? Like that would have been a good spot. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about after the bell, FTR coming into the ring and attacking Darby and Sting. Darby and Sting kind of getting the upper hand. Tully comes in with the chair and hits Sting in the back. Commentators did a good job of giving us some history on the old WCW days about Sting and Tully. So this, you know, just backs all that up. Sting absolutely no selling this chair shot, which I absolutely loved FTR getting back the upper hand, however, and giving sting a spike pile driver, you know, one of those assisted second rope spike pile drivers. Uh, this sets up a match for, uh, this grand slam week that we'll talk a little bit about at the end of the show on, I think this is happening on rampage. So I, I love this attack from FTR. This is the second time we've seen them in the night. You know, this isn't in chronological order. And I just love that FTR is getting back to FTR. Again, well, I'll talk about this a little bit a little bit later. But, like, I'm loving FTR in this moment. I love that Sting no-sells that chair shot. And, I mean, him taking the spike pile driver, I, I don't know if that's... I, I, I take that as Sting trusting 
the AEW guys to take care of him. I don't so much. I think a lot of people online take it as AEW doesn't care about Sting. And they're just, you know, milking the cow for all it can get. I don't think that is. I think this is more about Sting putting trust in the company and, and the people that he's working with. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. Because I think that if Sting didn't think he could handle this, he's going to say, you know, th this is not for me. And Tony's not going to make him do it. Like, this is not WWE. This is not you, you die for the company. So, yeah, this had to be his idea. And he he has to know that that these guys are going to take care of him. So, again, it's the marks, you know? Yeah. It looks like he took it well. Like, he landed on his shoulders, on the thighs. It looked good. And I, and I think how they do it these days is they, they don't hold on to them, right? When they bring them down, like it's it seems you're, they're not falling directly on their head. There's a subtle there's a subtle lean back when they go down, so that the guy taking the move can get his shoulders and his head out of the way, and the shoulders take the take the bump. Right? Yeah. So yeah, it doesn't look quite as devastating, but it still gets the effect. So I think it's really smart what they're doing. I think Sting is fine. So. Uh, let's move on. Eddie Kingston and John Moxley taking on 2.0. This was the main event of Dynamite this week. Again, 2.0 attacking these guys from behind. It was weird when Moxley and Kingston were coming up first, and you're just like, what the hell is going on? Of course, 2.0 with Garcia attack. We get that kind of spot. I mean, I like all this. I like this match. I thought I think these four work together well. I just kind of feel like this feud is losing traction because we're just getting it too much i don't know there's a weird balance and i know I, i've said with tag teams how you can do one versus one two versus two one versus two and two versus one and, and you know it, it's booking for days it doesn't seem to be working with these four for whatever reason and i love mox and kingston i love 2.0 and i liked this match i just feel like the, this feud is losing traction now that's without after the bell, you know, knowing what happened after the bell, of course. But what are your thoughts on this 2.0 versus Moxley Kingston kind of B story? I mean, I would agree with you that it's kind of losing traction. And I think the reason why is I don't remember seeing like any promos here. Like even just a quick one, show it before the matches are coming out. Because you got like Moxley and Kingston, two great talkers, Matt Lee. Like you got to get that guy the mic. And and Parker's not that bad either. You know, you just don't give the mic to Daniel Garcia and it's going to be a good promo. So I think if we got a little bit more that way, more of the story, then this match would have been a bit more compelling but like you say, uh, this seems to just be really for the ending. So let's talk about it. Eddie Kingston and John Moxley get the win. This was a short match for a main event. And I don't really mind that because I know in the grand scheme of the night, the, the show's not even close to being over because we got to record Rampage right after. You know what I mean? But really what steals the show here is that Suzuki-Goon which is Minoru Suzuki and Lance Archer. I thought commentary did an awesome job. I mean, we saw the there was a promo spot earlier in the night, which set that up. It gives us the visual that Lance Archer and Suzuki are a thing. 
Excalibur especially giving us that history of their days in New Japan that these two were part of the same, you know, group. Goon is kind of faction in Japanese is what I've learned. There's a couple of different goons in New Japan. So they come out the face-to-face with uh, Minoru and, and, and Moxley. I'm not going to get into the Suzuki incident, even though the commentary did their best to put it over while Suzuki was taking his sweet-ass time getting to the ring. We'll talk about the Suzuki incident later and putting it over. I like how that's the focal point, and then Archer comes from behind, sweeps out Kingston, and then all hell breaks loose. The only thing I didn't like about this situation, and I know I'm like rambling here, but... Moxley and Kingston end up on top here. And it's just like, that didn't seem right. Moxley got the win last week in Cincinnati. And Suzuki Goon are the ones who came out to face them. To me, they need to go over in this spot. I know it kind of just faded off into black and we don't really know what was happening. But, I mean, ever since the tease of the gosh pile driver on the, on the ring bell, this was all Moxley over Suzuki. So I didn't like that part. Yeah. I wonder what happened after it went to black is maybe, maybe there is a comeback there or whatnot, but they probably ran out of time, you know, and that does happen sometimes, but uh, yeah, I have to agree with you on that one. It it doesn't make really sense for the story, but I mm-hmm. think they can come back from it. And uh, I'm actually liking this Suzuki goon idea and that two point. is probably going to go off to something else might not even be a part of this anymore. And uh, that could possibly be why we're feeling like this feud is losing some traction is because they want it to kind of be done. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree with that. I, I hope 2.0 goes their own way. I think they'll do well on their own way. And I'm excited about this Suzuki Goon stuff because uh, Monaro's a freaking psychopath. His, his facial expression as he's walking down to the ring is so good. Yeah. <laughs> this guy looks like a freaking psycho. We know the stories, but I mean, he walks the walk too. It's, it's crazy. Uh, let's move on to the Butcher and the Blade versus the Lucha Brothers. This was an AEW tag team title match. It opened up Rampage this Friday. This is the first title defense of the Lucha Brothers. This was a great match. We hadn't talked kind of in, in a couple days, so we were almost distracted while watching this. But, I mean, it's the Lucha Brothers. It's Butcher and the Blade. You know they're going to put on a solid match. Um, the big talking point coming out of this match is this interestingly new mask spot that we see near the ending of this match. What, what were your thoughts on the way they pulled this finish off? And what it means for for the future of masks and face paint spots as we mentioned earlier in the show well it was definitely unique which i which i doesn't bother me like yeah on the surface you're like okay another mask spot but the fact that the i i think it was the blade didn't try to take off the mask he was more trying to just keep penta in the in the corner so he tied the tails of the mask to the ropes and then later on having penta have to make a decision on revealing his face possibly to save his brother and save the titles that that's that's good storytelling so i was uh i was just kind of shocked watching it all because it seemed very unique to me 
Um, if we really went back through the archives, and I'm sure someone's going to tweet us and say, in 1997, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Uven yeah, I was like, uh, I thought, I thought it was unique and interesting. It's, it's not, it's not something we've seen for a while. So I thought it was really cool. Yeah. We definitely haven't seen it in AEW yet. And since we've been getting mask spot after mask spot after mask spot, and then two face paint spots, you know, earlier in the week, this was a really cool breath of fresh air. I absolutely loved it to know that these titles mean this much to these two, that they're willing to jeopardize their entire, you know, traditions to save them. I think is a compelling story. The other kind of talking point of this match is that butcher and blade back together again, they've had, Two or three awesome matches since All Out on Dark and Dark Elevation. They're back in the tag team picture. They're undefeated. They're back to being beasts. You know what I mean? And they they come out of this match looking really good. And um, again, I'm like getting more excited about the tag team division. You know, it's been all Lucha Brothers, Young Bucks lately. Now we now you know th this reminds us that. The tag team division in AEW is super deep, so I love that Butcher and Blade got over in this match. Yeah, it was really good to see the Butcher back. I, I like his... He's got a new look, and if you ask me to describe it, I couldn't even tell you what's changed, but he looks different. Uh, I don't know if the hair is just longer or he's, his uh, you know his big beard is different. Uh, something about him is different. Maybe he looks a little bit trimmer, but... Uh, he looks like he's hungry to to get back. I think the blade, it, it felt more normal for him. It was just odd when he would come out by himself, and I think he felt more in place. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's super exciting the division again, and uh, looking forward to you know kind of what's gonna come up next. After this match, uh, the HFO attacked the Lucha Brothers, proud and powerful coming out for the save. And, I mean, I said it right away. I'm like, I smell an eight-man tag coming. And sure enough, I, I believe it's next week on, on Rampage, the special two-hour edition of Rampage. We're getting the Lucha Brothers and Proud and Powerful versus the HFO, who will be represented by Private Party and Butcher and the Blade. Private party also coming out to even things out here. So it was a cool moment after the bell. Yeah, it's good to see Santa and Tor Ortiz because uh, sometimes I feel like we forget them. Jericho on commentary calling him his boys. So it sounds like they're still in inner circle. Um, they, they've inner circles gone to the levels of the nightmare family. Uh, we don't know if they're a thing or not, but they throw it around every now and then. Um, so yeah, I, I could see a lot of matches between these two and, uh, I, I'm, I don't know about you, but Lucha Brothers versus Santana and Ortiz, I, I think that's gotta be a banger. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. I think the other thing that comes out of this eight man tag is exactly what I mentioned about what this match did. It's going to remind everybody that there's a lot of awesome tag teams in this division. And I think this is a really important match for private party because private party has kind of lost their, their, their allure in AEW and tag team wrestling kind of siding themselves with the uh, HFO. This is an opportunity for them to show up and say, Hey, we're here too. We can still do this. We're not just the, the comedy act anymore. You know, I want to see more of that, 
aggression that we kind of get from Butcher and the Blade out of Private Party. Let's move into some honorable mentions. Jade Cargill taking on legit Layla Hurst. Uh, Hirsch, sorry. Uh, Jade, this is Jade's longest match by by far, if you exclude the the Casino Battle Royale, of course. This was a very competitive match. Layla comes out looking good, which makes Jade look really good. I, I can't help but feel like this had something to do with uh, Layla's match against Camille in NWA. Hey, this can work between someone who's very, very short and someone who's very, very tall and powerful. This match just worked. I loved it. Yeah, Layla's always just a, a firecracker and such a good technical wrestler. And what we get to see here out of Jade is that she can sell. Uh, I felt like she did a very decent job kind of putting over Layla uh, with the size difference. And, you know, if we looked at all the matches of the week, this is one of the my favorite ones. Uh, it was up there. So, yeah, just the ladies division. Keep going because it's good stuff. Dante Martin tag teaming with Matt Seidel. Both brothers of these two are injured at the moment as they take on FTR, Cash Wheeler, and Dax Harwood. Uh, I mentioned it earlier in the night, FTR looking like FTR again. I absolutely love it. Yeah, it really looks like that uh, That injury's kind of not bothering him anymore. Some of the striking that we saw in this, it was... Uh, is back to where it used to be and that's really exciting because you know like we just talked about tag team division we got like all of these bigger guys so kind of excluding like private party and in those kind of tag teams these guys can hand uh handle the the proud and powerful and the lucha brothers and butcher and the blade it makes sense for those guys to kind of work together so that's really cool yeah they th i like that they didn't really overly talk about the the injury to cash you know it was one quick mention hey that arm's looking a lot better it doesn't seem to be bothering him and then that was it we didn't get hung up on the on cash's injury um martin and sidell kind of the odd couple that worked just because they are the absolute polar opposites of ftr i think was uh, kind of that underlying kind of detail of this match just made this match work uh really really entertaining match Go check it out if you guys haven't already. This was on Dynamite. Let's get into match of the week. This week we have the elite Adam Cole versus the elite hunter Frankie Kazarian. Right off the bat, Cole needs to figure out this entrance because it's it's just bothering me. I mean, I was upset last week. I got even more upset because I expected him to figure it out. He still hasn't figured it out. I don't understand why he doesn't do the boom when the song says boom. Like, figure it out. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I mean, it would be a total heel move not to allow the crowd to do that with him. But he allows them to do the baby. So it doesn't seem like it's a heel move. It's almost as if he can't hear his own music. And the only sort of solution i can come up for this or the reason why is it's almost like he has a count of how he does it from wwe and the song doesn't line up with his count so he just kind of does it whenever um it's kind of a miss i agree i i liked that although i thought in wwe it was really weird that he would sit there with his thumb up for you know five minutes before he did the boom so maybe it's just to get on with the whole entrance yeah, it, it, it's kind of one of those situations where, okay, so he waits too long, 
and it looks bad because he misses it by about like four seconds. Right, he does it like four seconds too late, and and in WWE with the undisputed era, he was doing it about four seconds too early. And I mean, I can't really get too upset with an entrance music because I'm gonna tear one apart and putting it over here in a minute. <laughs> so it's not that big a deal. Don't get me wrong. It's just it, it, it's a it's an OCD thing with me. It's just like it needs to line up. You're you're saying boom. Your song says boom. Just do it at the same right. time. It's not that big yep. a deal. Kaz was a great choice for Cole's first match here. Uh, these two have worked together many, many times in PWG in the SoCal area. We know that. You could literally see the chemistry with these two. They did not miss a single beat. This match was just part of my pun, poetry in motion. Yeah, I, th- I thought the same. It, it really could even be introducing some some wrestling fans to Adam Cole and to have somebody like Frankie in there and it not have to be super complex or, you know, I could even say people might have seen this match before, like in its entirety, like they probably just said, Hey, remember that one we did Wednesday? Let's do that one kind of thing. And and it still turned out really, really well. We're seeing the growth from, you know, when they probably would have wrestled last and it, it was... Like you say, poetry in motion. I like that. Adam Cole was in NXT WWE for four years. Over four years. These two haven't locked up in at least that long. You know what I mean? And you couldn't even tell. And that's just that's just a sign of, you know, two people who, who are absolute professionals. Um, we gotta talk about this this tuning up the band spot. I, I love that Adam Cole did it. I love that he smirked the whole time he was doing it. And commentary absolutely ignored it. I, I really, really like this. And we know Adam Cole has been compared. He's he, he's basically a clone of Shawn Michaels. And it, that, that that's not hidden from the world. And when Shawn Michaels took over a spot in NXT, he took a shining to Adam Cole, knowing that he was a very similar... You know, reminded a, a lot of himself in in Cole or whatever. Do do you take this as a fuck you to WWE? Is this more of an homage? You know, the the smirking just has heel all over it. Like I I absolutely loved it. There was a guy in the crowd in a tracksuit. He was just pointing at him. It's like they made eye contact. He's like, you sneaky, you sly little bitch, you know, kind of thing. I thought it was a cool moment, and I I, I absolutely love that commentary ignored it. It was just for us. If right, we- right. You'd have to think that commentary probably knew he was going to do that so that they knew not to react to it. I I, I don't think this is uh, an FU at all. I, I can imagine that him and Shawn Michaels were, they got close at NXT and this is more of a, you know, miss you bro kind of, kind of thing. And Cole is always smirking. So, I mean, he's always just looking like he's an ass. (laughs) So I'm not going to read too much in it. I mean, a lot of people are talking about WWE in AEW, like the wrestlers themselves are, are making references to it. We'll never know. Right. We're just speculating, but I feel like this is more of a, you know, I miss you. And, and I bet you Shawn Michaels messaged him before and said, Hey, like, you know what, have a good night. And this was, you know, I'm happy here kind of thing. And, uh, I'm sure it's all very platonic. Cole grabs the mic after getting the win. 
cuts a quick promo after the match, basically calling out Christian Cage and Jurassic Express. We'll see that match next week. The line to finish it all is he gets real close to the camera. The super click is back, baby. I, I, I love that. I, I like that reference. For those who follow BTE, you know the super click. Do you think this is the first little seed, the first little water droplets in the pail of maybe teasing Kevin Steen? Because Kevin Steen was part of the super click. Okay, I did not know that. Yeah, there has been uh, quite a few teases uh, lately about Mr. Steen. And uh, I mean, if that's true, that that's just exciting stuff. Like, it, it boggles my mind to think that, like, who else could be coming to AEW and, and what it would mean. And like we've said before, this is only going to make AEW's future that much more solidified. Because these young talent working with these these big names, these experienced guys, just means that they're just going to be that much better, that much faster. So, yeah, just no words, no words to explain it. It's going to be good TV. I'm going to throw out a prediction right now because we're not going to get the payoff to, to all this super click stuff until January 2022 because that's when Kevin Owens' contract expires. But I'm going to say right now, Kevin Steen comes over to AEW. There's going to be a similar, very similar moment where the elites in the ring, some music hits, out comes Steen. And with Adam Cole coming out, the elite played it like they didn't know what was going on. Like, what's going to happen? We killed this guy. You know what I mean? Like, like what? It, but then it all turned out we we're all buds. Everything was good. I think the opposite happens here. They're going to be so excited for Kevin Steen to show up. They're going to be waiting in the ring with open arms. And it's just going to be Stunner City. And Kevin Steen is not going to join the Super Click. He is not going to join the Elite. Kevin Steen needs to be his own thing. I, I think we've seen that evident in WWE his his run with Jericho his his many many runs with Sami Zayn his his so-called best friend you know what i mean Kevin Steen is his own thing and the blessings that he's gotten from Stone Cold and stuff giving him the stunner and, and all that shit it just makes sense I, I that's my prediction Kevin Steen comes over to AEW but does not join the super click i i totally like that i'm not i'm not even going to try to parry it the only thing is that I'll say is that in those things that you mentioned, like especially I'm thinking about the 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 friendship he had with Jericho, like he works really well with people. So I, I think we could get some some gold out of maybe pretending he's part of the clique and then True. And then it comes like I'd say like a survivor series type event. Like he's part of the team and then he like turns on the team and that would be pretty cool. But yeah, I think he's through and through a solo, solo guy. Yeah, cool. Like it. And now, putting it over. All right, we got to talk about it. It's It's been the hottest topic this week with, with, all, the, with all the AEW fans. The Suzuki incident. If you guys don't know what the Suzuki incident is, Minaro Suzuki has a song. It's his entrance song. It's the same one they play in Japan. It's called Kaza Ninare. And one minute and 54 seconds into the song, there's a point where 
you know the the, the beat drops and and in Casa Ninare is is shouted out. The crowd shouts out with it. It's it's it is a cool moment. They did it at all out, and it, it, it's cool. Now what happened was in Cincinnati is they cut the theme song, the entrance music a little short as they got into the wrestling match like right away. You know, like fists were flying, and everybody lost their minds that they didn't get to chant their little chant. And I can understand that. I, I talked about Adam Cole not saying the boom in the right spot. You know, if the crowd didn't get to sing Judas, they'd be upset too. You know, like I understand it. The thing that really makes me mad is that how mad people are getting over it to take to social media and blaming AEW. This all goes back to my issues with, you know, praising them for CM Punk and then, and then absolutely bashing the company for booking the gun club. Like who cares? Yeah, it, it, maybe it's upsetting, but just get over it kind of thing. And the thing that really makes me mad about this whole situation is that this week, as Suzuki's coming out, and you can tell he's really taking his time, letting the song play, the crowd is growing with anticipation, he starts, like, pointing his finger and doing it with the beat of Kaza Ninure. This motherfucker doesn't even know what part of the song the, the chant comes. So don't... I know they're trying to build this story that, you know, Suzuki felt disrespected by AEW for not making the chant. I don't buy it. Everybody is getting worked by this situation. And the, the last point that I'll make that really pisses me off is that AEW gave in so early. You know, as Suzuki's making his way down and he was up on the apron and, you know, you the anticipation was building... John Moxley should have just absolutely clotheslined him off the apron and the music cut. And let's keep it going. Let's keep that heat with these marks going. I'm burying it. I'm burying the Suzuki incident. I mean, if if this is if this is a work and and we're talking about, you know, it's got people talking about AEW. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that over. Cause that's it's so easy, right? If it's that easy to work these marks, then that's just good stuff. Like, you know what is going to piss people off. So, so that that's what you do. I totally agree with you. I think instead of having Moxley kind of attack him, like what happened during the inc incident, it, it would have been cool if, if uh, say, Kingston was in the production truck and he's the one that pressed the button to stop the music or something, you know, something <laughs> like that. And then he just gives that yeah. grin to the camera. Uh, but come on, people. Like, this wasn't a production issue. AW didn't do anything. That's how the match was planned, was that instead of, you know, Justin Roberts introducing them like Moxley went right after him. So what do you do? You're supposed to play the music for another 45 seconds just so you can say your little thing. Like it, you can't watch wrestling to sit there and just want to critique everything that they do. Like, how do you even enjoy it? So I bury all the marks. We we're going to talk some WWE here on raw this past Monday. We got a new champion, big E cashes in the suitcase, which I'm sure he's very happy to get rid of. <laughs> and uh, we get a little bit of a, of a match here against Bobby Lashley. Uh, did you check out this match? No, I re absolutely refuse to watch Raw, but I did see, I did see 
that Big E is now the WWE champion. Okay, yeah. Uh, so I saw the the YouTube clip of of the the match between because it is an official match, right? Uh, when he cashes it in, it, the match was kind of it wasn't great. I don't know that any of the cash-ins are really that great. So it's like this is nothing against Big E or Bobby Lashley. You know, Lashley just had a a match, I think. And, uh, you know, he's probably super tired. But I'm putting this over. I, I think it's great that that Big E is, uh, is the champ. I think he deserves it. Um, he was one of my favorite guys when, when we were... Uh, watching WWE, except for all the hip thrusting, I th- I think he was a really cool <laughs> cool guy, and um, yeah, I I know a lot of people online are are uh, really kind of talking about the race card here, and that um, you know it's good for African American wrestlers that you know they're getting these big spots, so. Uh, I think either way, it doesn't really matter. It's it, this is more about Big E and the hard work he's put into getting to where he is, and and he's being celebrated for it. So I think that's I think that's awesome. Putting it over, I'm putting this over as well. Big E was one of those one of those guys who was a big deal in NXT. He was an NXT champion. He came into the main roster and and carried you know carried Ziggler around for a really long time as Ziggler's muscle. Uh, there was that kind of weird relationship that with AJ Lee that AJ Lee had with pretty much everybody in WWE. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's been 10, I, I don't even know how long, at least nine, eight years of him being on the main roster, finally getting that main card push. He was supposed to have one years ago and then, you know, someone got injured or, or whatever and it got pushed to the back burner. So this has been a long time coming for Big E. Huge congratulations to him. Uh, I know he had a, a lot of tweets talking about he was one of the closest friends to Brody Lee and there was a lot of posts of, you know, Brody Lee looking over him and, and stuff like that. So that was a really cool moment. Happy for Biggie, WWE champion, putting it over. On BTE this week, 2.0 won the BTE championship. They're they're invoking the free bird rule when it comes to the BTE champion. Although Matt Lee was the one who challenged Marco Stunt and beat him in a what what's being dubbed the most intense game of blackjack ever seen. Both Matt Lee and Jeff Parker are BTE champions. Uh, I got to put this over just for the fact that the impromptu promo after they won and the the surprise cameo of Renee, (laughs) just absolutely epic, uh, epic moment on BTE putting it over. Yeah, I got to put this over too. I mean, Matt Lee is, he's becoming one of my favorite people in AEW. Like this guy just gets wrestling. He has the personality and uh, this was pretty intense round of blackjack because there's just like constantly ties. And I feel that at, at the beginning here, they didn't even really know how to play back blackjack. So it, it was just a really <laughs> good spot. And then just to comment on Renee, like if you have not seen BTE this week, please go check it out. And uh, you see this blonde figure in the background and very confused as to where she should be walking because the where she needs to go is where they're filming. And I, and I imagine she already knows that like everywhere in the building, 
all the wrestlers are filming something at you know any point in time so she wasn't sure where to go and then just kind of it almost seemed like she just said you know f it i i'm just gonna walk into the shot and for matt lee to to make comment on that it was just that that, that couldn't have been planned and it was just a fantastic moment so i'm gonna put it over and for you i'm gonna bury it that they didn't use this on dynamite this week. <laughs> they, they should have made some sort yeah. of reference to that. hundred percent, hundred percent on dynamite this week. CM Punk was a guest commentator and I, I thought he did a pretty great job. Um, at one point Barry's Excalibur about his ability to name wrestling maneuvers. So that, that was good. Showed his, uh, his chops on commentary, but uh, later in the night, gets confronted by by uh, Team Taz, takes a table spot here. And I'm putting this over just for the fact that I think a lot of people are, are thinking, you know what, CM Punk, yeah, he had a match, and now he kind of comes out and warms up the crowd. He's doing these promos, and that's great. But, you know, when are we going to see CM Punk in another match? And I think this gives all of those people maybe thinking that a little bit like at least he took a bump at least it's you know not seeming like he's just here to increase the ratings that he's actually going to be doing stuff and i thought he took a pretty stiff ski table here i'm putting it over you're probably going to be surprised by this but for cm punk being special guest commentator i'm burying yes he did a good job but honestly i'm getting I'm getting a little too much CM Punk at this point. It's literally been every show. And I it's great. I know he hasn't been around for seven years, but let's spread it out. Let's keep that anticipation. You know, we didn't even see CM Punk at all on Rampage last week. It was a nice change of pace. We could have kept it going, but we had to build up this match that we're going to see next week between Hobbs and Punk. So there, there did have to be something. I thought maybe instead of having Punk on, you know, three quarters of the show, maybe he just came out for one of the matches and they did the spot. Would have been more impactful. But like you said, he does have great commentary chops. But I will bury that part. This table spot, however, was this this whole attack thing. The way Taz and Hook come out to confront him, the way they got into each other's faces, Hobbs attacking from the back, Hook doing something, you know, getting that reverse kind of, I forget what they called it, reverse guillotine or whatever. Um, that was all really good. So I'm, I'm super excited for CM Punk's next match. It's going to be against Powerhouse Hobbs next week during the Grand Slam week. Putting that over for sure, for sure. Staying on Dynamite, we get MJF coming out, doing a segment in the ring, calling back to his time in Cincinnati uh, the methany stuff, attacking Brian Pillman's family, it, it, it's cutting deep, you know what I mean? And it, it it is harsh to hear, but what makes it so good for me is that you know this is being talked about in the back. There's no way this kind of content would be making its way onto TV if Brian Pillman Jr. himself didn't have a say, which... I hope he does. I, I'm pretty sure he does. And that kind of makes it really, really good, compelling TV. 
if this is happening behind his back, then holy shit, that is some ballsy, ballsy stuff to put on TV. Um, this segment progresses as Pillman's music hits. Wardlow is sent to cut him off, but he comes in from the back. There's a quick little back and forth, a pretty wussy slop to Wardlow from Brian Pillman, you know, but it all kind of works out. It's building up to this match where we're going to see on dynamite next week. Overall, I'm putting the segment over. I think, I think it just kind of exposed Pillman's greenness. Uh, you know, he can't really match MJF on the mic yet. So he's kind of, they, they kind of tried to come at it a different way and it's still not kind of getting the impact that it needs, but it was better. So I, uh, overall, I'm putting it over. I don't know that anybody gets heat like MJF. And what I mean by that is some of the things he says, he doesn't even get a reaction to it because people are just so shocked that he even said what he said. And I believe this happened during the segment. At one point, like the crowd it's almost as if they didn't understand what he said. Like no one's reacting. And then it's like they realized it. And then you, you couldn't even hear MJF. Like they were booing so loud. So, I mean, it's good. I'm sure he, I'm, I'm sure he's not what he is in real life. He like this, this had to be talked about. I'm kind of on the fence with this one. It, it almost seems like it's a little bit too much, but, uh, I think they're doing this for the story and I and I think they're doing it because of the the mic skills and the greenness of of Pillman. I think you're right on that one. So, I don't know, I don't know what to say. I I hope this turns out well for Pillman. So, for for the fact that, you know, they're pushing Pillman, I'm going to put this this one over. All right, going to another segment from Dynamite, we got Malachi Black. So, we come back from commercial. It's just black. You had stepped away for a bit, and I'm wondering what the heck happened here. And then uh, we get the the lights turned on. We see Malachi Black sitting there and uh, does a little bit of a promo in the ring when the camera pans over to Rosario Dawson, of all people. She faces... Malachi sort of steps out from behind the 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 cage because Malachi is talking about how there's uh and somebody infiltrating his his people. So I'm I'm a little at this point kind of Malachi's character has changed. This was like the starting of the change at least for me because now he's he's calling these people his subjects and whatnot and and whatnot i thought it was it was really good tv minus the fact that rosario dawson was part of this and then cody comes out for the save so i'm gonna bury the rosario dawson part i get why this happened cody's promoting another thing that he does i don't think this is the place to do it but i guess that's probably also tnt would you say yeah, the Go Big Show is TBS. Yeah, so I guess for that fact, I mean, to me, leave that stuff there. Uh, but Cody returning, I'm always going to put that over. What'd you think of this one? I'm overall burying this spot just because, like, I liked Malachi Black, and I, and I, I like that you kind of brought up the change in his character a little bit. Rosario getting involved, 
probably not the best thing. Having her in the side there and showing her on camera, like I totally get that. That that happens in wrestling. It kind of crosses crosses both worlds and stuff like that. But her jumping the fence, coming face to face, and then actually jumping on the back trying to choke him out. It, it's going a little far. Cody coming out from the crowd took too long. It didn't really flow. The situation didn't flow well. And then they they fight their way back out the exact same you know, aisle that he came down, just, it, it, it just didn't hit the way it did. And it reminds me, you know, we've been seeing these commercials for roads to the top, which is another show that Cody's doing on TNT. It's, it's a total Bella's total divas type show that follows, uh, Cody and Brandy's, you know, outside of the ring life kind of thing. And there's a moment where in the commercial, they highlight that piss poor segment of the way in, with Anthony Agogo. And they tried to make it like this big theatrical thing and it just totally fell flat on its face. And Cody called it out. He's like, yeah, that segment sucked. And, and you know, I'll be the first to admit it and, and whatnot. Cody's got to know that this didn't work either. And I, and I hope he realizes it. And again, it's more of the same, more of the same, more of the same from Cody. And I think the only thing that saves this segment from absolute barriage is that next week when we see this match, Malachi Black versus Cody 2, Cody needs to lose again. He needs to get his ass kicked again. Because if Cody comes back again for the third time after losing to somebody and then getting the win, it, it just totally, this whole story of him not wanting to be you know, thought of as like his dad was as the pencil guy, as the booker, just booking himself into championships. Like we heard that story with the whole AEW championship. He lost to Chris Jericho. So, you know, it doesn't, he's not going to challenge for the belt anymore. Blah, 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 blah. This is still part of that story, at least in my mind. So if Cody comes in and, and, and beats Malachi Black, I'm just, okay, you're just doing what you said you weren't going to do. And that's no good. So overall, burying the, se burying the segment. Dan Lambert comes out with Men of the Year and, and cuts a, one of his heel promos. He's flanked by American Top Team, Junior Dos Santos, Andre Arlovsky, newcomers to, to AEW, Paige Van Zant and Kayla Harrison. All I can say about Dan Lambert is that he kind of got his groove back. Paige Van Zant absolutely needs to be in professional wrestling. I think she should make the switch. She's kind of doing a bare-knuckle boxing thing right now. But she was very animated in the back. She seemed like the only one who kind of knew what to do. She was following suit with Men of the Year because Men of the Year were very animated during this spot. And then having Jericho and Hager come out to kind of accept American Top Team's challenge. And we're going to see a tag team match between Jericho and Hager and Men of the Year next week during Grand Slam. Uh, I like that this is all kind of coming back together. I'm, I'm putting this over. Paige Van Zandt needs to be in professional wrestling. Hundred <laughs> uh, percent. Yeah, it, it really is starting to seem like Dan Lambert needs to be in the ring rather rather than up in the in the box. Uh, it seems yes. to be a difference because every time he's in the ring and he cuts a promo, it's gold. And uh, I like that they're they're putting these guys up against Chris Jericho. And uh, it's it's kind of a bonus that Hager's there with the. You know, he's also MMA, so that sort of works together. Um, I'll, I'll be really interested in, in to see how this tag team goes. I think I think there's a matchup here, and I think it's gonna be it's gonna be good, and that would be good for 
for uh, everyone involved, really. Um, but even more for the men of the year. Yeah, let's see Paige again putting it over. On Rampage, we got the Bunny versus Anna J. This was a really quick, really solid match uh, between these two. Penelope and Tay, I got a Barry, unfortunately, as they are basically standing beside each other on the on the backside of the ring. I, I realized that there was a spot where Penelope jumps up and Ty had to be there, but this all echoes back to what we talked about in the Casino Battle Royal and the girls just not wanting to make a mistake or be late for a spot or anything like that. But this does look really bad that a face and a heel are basically standing beside each other, cheering on their their, their kind of people in the ring. Uh, after the match, Anna Jay wins, but Penelope attacks with the brass knucks, passing that torch over, that's that gimmick over from the blade which I think works, separating the bunny from the butcher and the blade in a way. Um, so I, I got to put that over. So evens out, I'm on the fence on this one. <laughs> yeah, I actually didn't even notice the ladies on the same side of the ring because um, I was really just kind of focused on what I was seeing in the ring. And um, But once you pointed it out, I'm like, yeah, that's that's super weird. Why Why is that happening? So... I'm also into burying that. And uh, yeah, the brass knucks, I thought Penelope did a really good job here. Like it wasn't a wussy kind of punch she threw here. She she did a great job not to actually kind of really connect with them. It was more kind of the top of the hand wrist kind of thing, but it looked deadly putting it over. Tony's back in the ring again for an interview with Britt Baker. I don't even think he said anything. Ruby's music hits and she comes out. And we really get here the absolute moment of the week for me. Uh, if anything got me sitting up straight in my chair. Um, phrasing? It was this spot. Uh, these girls were just swinging back and forth and not with their with their hands. They were doing it with their lips hey phrasing and we got a segment i think is going to put the the ladies division if it wasn't already on the map you know it, it's it's definitely there now this seemed very shoot which i think even made this whole segment better i mean this this is going to be for me probably the best women's storyline we got going on and it's all because of this lighting of the match no pun intended there uh this thing is going to explode if it continues like this i'm putting this segment over this is one of the best segments i feel we've seen this year for sure very similar to the brian danielson kenny omega stuff it, it seemed a little it seems a little off-putting that you know ruby soho is coming in she wins the casino battle royale absolutely launched straight into a title match so it's kind of hard to get behind those when you know there's been a lot of girls working their asses off like Ty Conte and Thunder Rosa and, and whatnot to get those title shots. But this segment alone solidifies every choice in the booking. Like, it makes sense. It's going to work. These two have shoot heat with each other. At least they're making it look like it's shoot heat which is the exact point of professional wrestling. Make it look like it's real, right? So this is absolutely awesome. Cannot put this over enough. I love that Ruby's got the mic in her hand. Yes, she broke character a couple times. She's having, she's struggling with 
you know, this admiration is just overwhelming her, but she snapped out of it. She got into character, got some attitude behind her voice. This, this whole moment, uh, when you say moment of the week, hundred percent moment of the month, maybe not because, well, we're in September now that happened in August. I'll say moment of the month, definitely not moment of the year, but it's on the list for sure. Putting it over. To close out Rampage, we had a match between Fuego Del Sol and Miro. This come this stemming from a spot we seen on Dynamite. Fuego mentioned that, yes, I got a contract. Yes, I bought this car, but I'd give it all away for a chance at that TNT championship. Sammy's there with him, mentions, is that a challenge? Fuego says, hell yeah, it's a challenge. Hey, Miro, I'll put up my car for another shot at that TNT championship. Didn't go over so well for Fuego. I, I'm i concerned of where this goes. After the match, Fuego or Miro grabbing the keys, you know, he was handed the keys as part of the, the win for the match. He just shoves them in his, in his mouth and gives them the game over. I wonder if this is their way out of just kind of forgetting the car thing. It's just like, well, Miro didn't want the car anyway, so he just gave it back to him. Will we even get that kind of closure? I don't know. I got to bury the whole car gimmick for this match. Uh, but uh, Sammy coming out for the save and attacking Miro and and kind of doing the same spot we saw with Ruby, holding the belt up, kind of announcing like, hey, I'm coming for this. I got to put that over even though we just saw it literally like 20 minutes before this. Well, I think you said it best is really we're getting this match again and and not even like a year later, like we just we just had this match and we're getting it again. And I think the car was to try to make it a bit different than it was before because that whole thing was there's no way Fuego's winning. But then we go and give him the contract and, you know, that's all great. Uh, but really this whole thing is about Sammy getting a shot and how do we get Sammy to that? And this was a way to do it going through Fuego and the whole car was just sort of the the setting they were going to do it in. Uh, so it did come off a little bit weak. Uh, Jericho, even, I think I'm putting over Jericho here, kind of making fun of the keys being on a lanyard. Uh, like, yeah. He's so excited. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm looking forward to Sammy and Miro putting it over. The the last thing we need to talk about here, I'm putting it over, is uh, Mr. James Corvette. We've been talking about this dude recently, but he did turn 60 the other day. Uh, I guess that would have been yesterday. And uh, I thought it would, uh, you know, just be sort of nice that we acknowledge that. So happy birthday, Mr. Corvette. Sometimes we agree with you. Most times we don't. But... Uh, he said it best in that he's baffling medical science that he's he's still around at this point. So uh, happy birthday, JC. Putting it over. Yeah. Happy happy birthday, Corvette. Uh, I'm still burying you. All right. That's our show for this week. It was a good week. It was a solid week. I think it was a lot better than the week before uh, just because we were... The week before, we were just riding off the hangover of All Out. All Out was such a great show. 
So Dynamite and Rampage kind of suffered because of that. I think they got back to the swing of things. We had some awesome, awesome matches this week. Awesome, awesome moments like the Ruby Soho Britt Baker stuff. Uh, as we look forward to next week, it's Dynamite Grand Slam. It's AEW Grand Slam. They've, they've kind of nicknamed the whole week as they head into enemy territory in a way. We're putting up the AEW putting a show on in New York. They're going to have it at Arthur Ashe Stadium, which, I mean, we got a, a sneak peek, I guess you could say, as we were watching the U.S. Open last weekend. Um, unfortunately, our girl, uh, Layla, did not win the U.S. the U.S. Open. Congratulations to uh, Radakanu for, for winning the U.S. Open at only 18 years of age. But we got a sneak peek of the, of the venue of Arthur Ashe Stadium. And I mean, this is a small, very... Intimate. Intimate type setting. And I mean, it, I, I'm super excited for this show next week. Uh, it sounds like the people who are lucky enough to go to Arthur Ashe for this are going to get an absolute banger of a night as th not only are they getting dynamite but they're also getting rampage so i just want to quickly run through what we're going to see next week we got brian pillman jr versus mgf malachi black versus cody sting and darby versus ftr Britt baker versus ruby soho for the aew women's championship and of course the aew championship on the line as kenny omega defends against brian danielson that's dynamite alone as we look forward to a special two-hour episode of Rampage on Friday, we have the Super Click versus Christian Cage and Jurassic Express, Jericho and Hager versus Men of the Year, CM Punk versus Powerhouse Hobbs, Suzuki Goon versus Mox and Kingston, and an eight-man tag, Lucha Brothers, Proud and Powerful versus the Hardy Family Office being represented by Private Party and Butcher and the Blade, and also Anna Jay versus Penelope Ford. That is a huge week of wrestling. I, I'm at a loss for words that we're getting 11 matches next week over four hours of, of, of content. This is a, a week-long pay-per-view is, is the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, I think the only thing that I'm seeing that I'm, I'm not a fan of is that we're getting this Britt Baker-Ruby Soho match. After last week, I, I want to see a few more weeks of these these ladies uh, duking it out on the mic or, you know, some interrupts or something like that. Uh, but I mean, you cannot compete with this. WWE can't compete th with this tag team turmoil is not going to compete with this. <laughs> Absolutely not. So, I mean, look forward to next week. It's going to be awesome. Make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast, whether it be on Spotify, Apple, Google, now available on iHeartRadio, now available on Bullhorn FM, whatever your podcast platform of choice is, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. We release episodes every Sunday now. I mean, next week's going to be an absolute banger. I can't wait to watch the shows and eventually talk about it next Saturday. It's going to be awesome. With that being said, thanks again for listening, everybody. We will catch you all next week. Go fuck yourself, Jason Corvette, James Corvette, Jim Cornette, whatever your name is. Happy birthday, bro. Happy birthday. Peace.